this is Bibliovile, where a man and his wife get each other the worst books they can find in the library, and a woman and her husband describe them to each other. For this episode, Mick read Grimspace by Anne Aguirre, and Susan read Dead Girls Are Easy by Terry Gary. Anne Aguirre and Tara Gary. Welcome to Biblioval. Mick Dickinson's my name, and podcasting is my shame. Uh, this is the podcast where we check out each other the worst books we can find, uh, and we make each other read them. The each other in this scenario is my wife, Susan Dickinson. Oh, hey, that's me. And this week for Bibliovile, Mick read Grim Space by um... Anne Aguirre. Anne Gary, and I read Dead Girls Are Easy by Terry Gary. Oh my god. I had a whole, like, I was gonna just guff, guff, guff you about Terry Gary. Is the book scary? Is there a character named Larry? Very scary by Terry Gary? But now I find out that my author, I just put this together, is named Anna Gary. Anna Gary and Terry Gary and a scary Perry. <laughs> they should get married <laughs> and then they can go to somewhere and wear a sari and ride a ferry <laughs> i bet they're gonna have a friend named jerry <laughs> stephen king writes about the town dairy maine no we had to add the maine it doesn't work i'm like john john raffio it's a it's a reference that you huh. I thought you would get. Yeah, he does that thing where he like adds a syllable or forgets to like end his freestyle uh, raps. I get it yes, now. I'm not a crazy person. No, you're not a crazy person, I promise. Anyway, uh, anyway, I'm Susan Dickinson, and I'm the other co-host of this podcast. Yes, rough beginnings aside, uh, we are here to tell you about some books that we have read lately that might not have been so good. Uh, one of the odd rules is I actually have no idea about how good Susan's book was or was not because I uh, am not allowed to listen to her. She's not allowed to speak to me. I'm not allowed to speak to her. Uh, we have a rule where we have to read these pretty much in secrecy and silence, uh, take our notes, and then spring the book onto the other person. So I'm excited to hear about Dead Girls Are Easy. I picked this one out a couple weeks ago just by cover alone because dead girls are easy it's the live ones who cause trouble i've got some thoughts about the title and the tagline and the cover but we'll, we'll wait for that we'll wait for that we'll wait for that um tell me mick my friend how was grim space grim space by anna gary that's Anne a gary not anna gary that would be silly who has gary for a last name Terry. Terry? Terry Gary. <laughs> <laughs> what did we do? Mess right now. Well, so is a lot of things. Yeah, so is a lot of things. Um, just as a brief side note before we really get going into the goofs and the laughs and the fun stuff. And the bits. Don't um, forget the it bits. Is, it is the day after the election, and 
If you have listened to our podcast before, particularly the episodes about the Dinesh D'Souza book and the Ann Coulter book, you probably have an idea that the election didn't go the way we were hoping it would. And not to mention the Trump book. Um, so that's it, it's been tough. It's been a tough day. We both have a lot of emotions about it. I think a lot of people have a lot of emotions about it. And we woke up in the morning and we're just sort of at a loss of what to do. And we talked about whether or not we were going to record tonight and release an episode tomorrow. And we decided that we were going to because what else is there? What else is there? That's right. So <clears throat> I hope that you all enjoy a break from thinking about anything election election related and enjoy our goofs about these bad books. Yeah, our goofs and our bits uh, hopefully can kind of soften the blow of less goofy reality. So speaking of less goofy reality, let's talk about Grim Space. Let's go. Yeah, let's go to some some especially goofy unreality <laughs> in Grim Space. Grim Space. Uh, why did you pick this? What jumped out about this book to you, Susan? Because you had you had a couple books in mind. I and you did. decided on this one. I did. So I had a few books in mind. I had tossed around the idea, and I talked to Mick about it before, of like the biography of a former bachelorette. Um, I had also thought about making him read one of the Twilight books. And then I just wasn't really feeling either of those options when we were at the library. And so I went into the sci-fi section. The Iowa City Public Library divides out the mystery section and the sci-fi section. Um, into like their own separate area and so I was wandering around there and I actually had a different book picked out that looked pretty boring but the 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 oh good description on the, you know like the cover wasn't anything like oh my uh, god but this is gonna be terrible but the description on the back was bonkers and so I was leaning towards that one and then I saw the title grim space and I was like well this seems awful it's just like you know how you draw a sun and it has sunglasses and a big smile what if it's like if a sun had a very serious face on it'd be grim space (laughs) i don't want to shine today Uh, yeah um so how about this book does this book shine i mean if you read the back it seems like it should shine it should shine how Uh, do you pronounce this girl's name i i assumed it was sarantha Jax? Like, like Samantha, but not. Kind of. Okay. Um, also, it's up in the air whether or not Sarantha is a like a, a rank and a title or her first name. Because everyone calls her Jax. And she refers to herself as Jax, which is mm-hmm. a last name. Yeah. Uh, according to this. But Jax, is, in sci-fi, would not be a last name. And like, yeah. Co- in common sci-fi, Jax would be the first name. And she also refer So... <clears throat> Grim Space. I always do this where I want to get into the discussion without summarizing it. But uh, there's nothing but summary to be had out of this book. It's really pretty, like, 100-calorie Oreos. If It's just sort of there. Yeah, a little bit. Um, so we open with Sarantha Jax in a cell. Uh, she is being jailed by the corp. What is the corp? What does it do? Why is it there? The corp or the core? Well, it's the CRP. It is short for corporation. Which I also thought about calling it the corp or the core, uh, in response, but uh, it stands for corporation, so they call I refer to it in my head as the corp. She is in a cell awaiting interrogation because she is a jumper. She has a special J gene, 
which is going to be just a chore to say. Um, the J gene helps people be jumpers. Uh, I'm assuming this is all capital letters. Actually, jumper might not be. I don't know. It's got to sure. be capitalized. It's got to be, but it's got to be I didn't capitalized. I pay enough attention. Um, <clears throat> where the jumper serves on uh, an interstellar ship uh, and is in charge of getting the ship through grim space, which, mm. according to reading the rest of the damn novel, because it's certainly never actually explained all at once, uh, grim space seems to be some sort of like wormhole. Where they go like beneath reality and cut through Grim Space and come out the other side, but Grim Space can only be accessed by certain people with certain genes, and it's extraordinarily beautiful. And like, really, you need a jumper and you need a pilot, and the two like sync up psychically, like they're in a Jaeger and Pacific Rim. It's a reference, and uh, uh, they sync up and the jumper is the navigator getting them to these beacons where the pilot is actually flying them this is a good summary of the book as a whole because that idea is not a bad one that there's this like select group if you take this book as an abstract and then you gave this book to a good author and said here write this book I am sure that this book would be fantastic mm -hmm. because the jumpers have only so many jumps in them. They don't know when the end is coming, but, Ooh. but the end is like their mind cracks and they <coughs> stick in grim space. They like can't handle leaving anymore because it's so beautiful and so enticing Ooh. and like they go insane and they stay in grim space and their mind goes out from their body. Yeah. Right? That's actually like a pretty sweet yeah, premise that's, for that's a book. A, that's really awesome. And it's, that's a theme in this book is really awesome world building that the author seems to have down a hundred percent in her mind. Ah. <laughs> but in our mind, we're just kind of forced to like assume some stuff. Like, here's a perfect example. It's at the very end of the book, and I'll get to the summary, but a thing explodes on the screen. And we are told that the characters are very surprised. They cannot believe what is happening. We are not told that the thing explodes. We're just told that out of nowhere they're surprised? Yeah, they're surprised. They can't believe this is happening. They, the the view on the screen And you don't of, know what's happening? Well, you figure it out because, like, context clues. This yeah. book might as well just be subtitled Grim Space Context Clues. <laughs> because you have to use context clues and kind of, like, critical thinking for everything. And it's... I feel hopeful and bad at the same time because this is the, the series' first book and the author's first book. And so for her to come up with a really great premise, like, honestly, really great uh, world building, it's just like a kind of a failure of, that's your brain, honey. Like, we, we need it in ours, too. Like, yeah. I'm glad that you have such a great mindset and that this is very real to you. Obviously, like, there's a lot of detail in it, and you seem to understand what you're trying to get across. You have not gotten it across to us. That's frustrating. It was pretty frustrating. As a whole, this book, if it suffers from things other than that, it suffers from archetypes. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like sci-fi tends to be oh, pretty yeah. guilty of that. Sci-fi is like citizen or enemy of the public number one. Public enemy number one for archetypes. Like here is a from chapter two. Maybe I know. It, maybe it's because I know it can mean nothing good. This illicit entry into my cell. 
and this is a way of postponing my all but inevitable hop from the frying pan to the fire, which is a super cliche. Such a quaint descriptive when we've been cooking with molecular agitation for so long, but in my circumstance, it's just too apropos. They don't sleep on beds, they sleep on sleep mats. They don't wear wool shirts, they wear S-wool short shirts. And so it's just kind of like general, oh, this is a sci-fi book, I need techie-type words, which is like molecular agitation. Dog, that's heating things up. <laughs> I just feel like even in that one paragraph, there were just too many words. <laughs> like, calm down a little bit. <coughs> You don't need to use that many words. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. Um, so the the summary uh, is that there's Jax. She's in a cell for crashing this cruiser line that had a bunch of diplomats on it. The, the corp who has a monopoly, we later learn, like, this will all make sense to you, which is why I am very excited about the author. Because as a, taken as a whole, it all makes sense. Mm-hmm. But... As you're reading it, it doesn't make sense at all. Like, it's only after you get... And it's not one of those, like... Did you ever see the movie Seven Pounds? I did. I hated it. I hated it, too, but I oh, saw it, and I was God. really excited that I had actually seen the movie that you I talked s- about on this podcast. <laughs> it can happen. It can happen. Um, I'm so glad you hated it. I... It ended, and I was like... What the fuck? <laughs> well, I was mostly like... So, so yeah. So like, <laughs> if as you look at it back, like you go, oh, cause things, but it it sucks. It's really slow and drawn out, and it doesn't all tie together until after you're done watching it, which makes for a bad viewing experience. Yeah, and you want a good viewing. Like, yeah. there's, there's something to be said about surprising or keeping mystery. But if it's at the expense of you, in like, enjoying watching the movie, meh. Yeah, like, there's a difference between, like, oh, that's, that's neat, that's clever, mm-hmm. and you going... What the hell is going on? Yeah. And that's what both Seven Pounds and this book is. So as I summarize this book, it will make sense in retrospect. Or that sounds pretty spacey as it is. <laughs> uh, but it did not make sense at the time. So Sarantha Jax is in a cell for crashing this like diplomatic ship with her partner and like pilot so they hook up they're not married but they hook up all the time because the whole thing about a, between a pilot and a jumper is that they link like psychically and so they totally get to know each other and it's like yeah the, the highest amount of intimacy which once again is like a pretty solid kind of world building idea mm-hmm. that like once you're in somebody's head you you can't get any closer except by doing it or whatever so naturally she does it with the dude that appears in the book and mm-hmm. it attempts to have this like will they won't they and you as a reader is just like oh fucking course they will um but she's in the cell march is the guy's name we never get a last name or if it's his real name he breaks her out of the cell he takes her down to the ship uh the people are firing on her because they want to keep her in the cell for to like interrogate her about this crash how did it happen she has amnesia about it she gets on the ship she goes and there's people on it one of the guys has died and saving her one of the jumper who took them there has broken on her way there and so she has to jump them out with march the new pilot and she seems to see that he 
Every time she thinks about a certain thing, he gives some sort of face. And it turns out he's psychic. Because that also exists in this universe. Like, Good. Solid. <laughs> like, it doesn't really <clears throat> explain how that works at all. It just happens. Uh, there are aliens in this universe. We find out about two-thirds of the way book, uh, way through the book. I feel like that maybe should have been addressed at the beginning. Yeah, because everyone is humanoid in, the, like, the main crew... Uh, but at the end, like in the middle, we find out one guy is, uh, some sort of alien that is perfectly humanoid. There's no, there are no real physical descriptions of like how tall, how lanky anybody is, except for the main Mm -hmm. character who has a lot of hair and then shaves it off. The main character, the main love interest who has like fantastic pecs and stuff, like a good body. Mm -hmm. Um, but everyone seems to have gray eyes, which is another weird archetype of Everyone has weird colored eyes in fantasy novels. In fantasy novels, and especially young adult novels. Yeah. They're which, really into weird eyes, like gray and purple. Turquoise, yeah. yeah. Which, this book, for, I would say 75% of it, reads and feels like a YA novel. Like, Jax has this, I'm broken, and I compartmentalize myself, and I just need someone to put me together, and I speak my mind too often, and it gets me into trouble. And I know better than the authority. And so it really feels so like, like YA. the typical yeah. young adult heroine. But then it, it really steps out in ways that will uh, become clear. And I'll readdress them as we get there. Uh, and so she's in this uh, ship. And she's taken to a planet that we don't know anything about. And there's clans. And the clans are fighting. And they introduce one of the clans by last name. But their last name is Gunnar. Like G-U-N-N-A-R. And so I assumed they were some sort of mercenary group, probably because I played too much Fallout and a mercenary group is Gunner. You mentioned once that your notes ended in question marks. Yes. Uh, all of my notes began in the word apparently. Because <laughs> uh, you're just kind of like retroactively applying yeah. context to the previous things. And so there are clans apparently, and on this planet, like some sort of backwater, they get there and... They're in this rover as they try to steal Jax, and one of the people has given the the whole thing away, and there's a thing, but we don't know it because Jax doesn't know it, which is okay. It's it's okay to have, like, some sort of, like, your character is an outsider because mm-hmm. then you get to introduce through the main character. Harry Potter does not know the wizarding world, even in his seventh year of being in the wizarding yeah. world, because J- or J.K. Rowling wanted to, a, a way to introduce you to this new thing. Yeah. Yeah. The Quidditch World Cup is mainly unknown to Harry Potter, even in his fourth year of wizarding school, because J.K. Rowling Rowling needed a way to introduce it. Yeah, exactly. That's, yeah, good fiction writing. Good storytelling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no one introduces it to Jax. Like, no one ever explains any of the stuff. And so we're stuck not knowing with Jax for the whole time until we figure it out as she is thinking about the way like she figures it out doesn't tell us either and so it's kind of frustrating so we're on this clan planet and there are uh they're in this rover and they get in a fight with some people that want to steal jacks and they kill most of them but then since there's blood in the air they get attacked by these weird uh invisible like scavenger creatures uh, and since they're invisible, we don't have to describe them in any way. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, we're just, like, in the car, and they can hear them outside. And even when they, like, start tearing people out of the car, which was honestly, like, stressful. 
uh, we still don't like get have to see them at all, so mm-hmm. the author doesn't have to explain them. And then we're on the clan planet, and the clan planet, uh, too many people from two of the main clans that we've met that are apparently the main clans, we're told that they're the main, it felt like this was the third book in an anthology about this world. But it wasn't? But it wasn't. This is the first book. And so it felt like we were supposed to know who the clans were, why they were fighting, but we don't at all. And so now they're going to have to get married into this whole thing, right? So Jax is finally introduced to the main plan. Instead of the corp, which we don't know anything about, having some monopoly on training jumpers because trade routes depend on jumpers, they're going to go around to strange planets and find people with the J-gene, both human and alien, and hope to train them themselves to kind of break the monopoly which again pretty solid premise for a sci-fi kind of novel yeah yeah and so it's balancing like disappointing results from a good premise with pretty good showings from a first-time author that it really becomes terrible or not terrible but hard they leave the clan planet They go to this, like, the alien planet, the first one they're going to go to, and it's made up of, uh, like, primitive aliens. And one weird thing is that Jax has been an explorer her entire time, and so she's made first contact, they mention it, like, 15 times with indigenous species. She's the first alien to show up. Huh. That's kind of cool. It's pretty cool. But, dog, I want to read those books. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Like, that'd be a cool story to read. Yeah, and so we get to, like, hear about it in passing that she's done this. No flashbacks. Like, that's pretty badass. That's pretty badass. And I want to read those books. But instead, she's like, oh, I'll be a pro with it because I've already done it. So they go to this, they go to this planet and they find that it's supposed to be empty and you're led to believe that the corp has come and, like, murdered everyone. But turns out they didn't. Oh. Yeah. Um, and the... The species is amphibious, and it's during the winter, so they're cold-blooded. They go into hibernation. Oh, that's boring. Well, yeah, but the thing is that uh, Jax accidentally uncovers one of the babies in hibernation, like, brushes the dirt off, and then March, the pilot in the love interest, is like, oh, these are such weird people. They talk like, or whatever, and it does a weird noise. And it just so happens to turn out that the series of what he assumed to be gibberish of this native language is the birthing call of this indigenous species. Of course it is. And so they get this baby, what they call Baby Z, because it is an alien that has a gene that mixes with the J gene to create permanent jumpers instead of, like, expendable jumpers. Oh. Which, again, pretty cool premise. Yeah. But since this is apparently a D&D adventure where people get bored very quickly, they take off with the baby and there's this whole fun thing about like, now they're weird kind of parents together and they, yeah. will they, won't they, weird parent dynamic, which is like, honestly, in fantastic hands would be fun. And they find out that one scientist has done research and so they go to this space pirate space station uh, who has this scientist on it and He's a husky, he's the only black dude in the entire book, and he's, like, uh, dusky and, eth- like, a, uh, exotic, and he smells good, and he's uh, a leader of a my eyes birds. at that. Yeah, and he smells so good because he uses pheromones, and Jax wants to bone him, and frankly, she's, there's this weird sort of, like, good for you, and at the same time, I'm worried about you kind of dynamic for Jax, where... 
she's like, hey, I've got a certain amount of tools in my repertoire to accomplish our goal. And one of those tools that I am choosing to use, like choose No one has yeah. asked me to use this, but I'm choosing to use is my body. Right. And so you're you're weirded out about that line between like he's using you like sexually to get what he wants and also like this your, is your autonomy. Yeah, yeah, your autonomy to accomplish a goal using the resources. They never actually bone. Don't worry. But it's that decision that honestly, yeah. once again, is a pretty good like gray line. Yeah. Like it made me think and consider, is this a good thing? Is this a bad yeah. thing that she's doing this? It's her call. No one forces or tells her to do it. She decides. And so that's another, like, hmm, nice. Uh, turns out that all of the women on the space station have been, uh, like, taken away to a level that no one is allowed to go to, and they are forcefully impregnated uh, yeah. so they can grow the population of the space station. And so March and uh, Jax sneak up there confronted by the scientist who they'd originally come to find he's like ha ha now i've got you and the the baby and he takes the baby z and he's holding it and he shoots march with a uh disruptor that turns his arm inside out yeah. uh, because it was originally teleportation technology that didn't work and so they adapted it to a weapon which once again pretty bad pretty badass yeah. yeah um that's sweet yeah and so then this one dude who one of the aliens we have, by this point, found out he is an alien, uh, was supremely hostile to the original welcome committee and slaughtered them all. So the corp, like, air-blasted their entire planet with tranquility drugs so, to, like, keep them from being hostile yeah. to more people. And it turns out that their species is incredibly quick at adapting, and so they adapted to these tranquility drugs and made it a part of their species, right? Even though he looks human, he's a different alien, and he can't fight. Like, he is physically incapable of thanks to these tranquility drugs, which, wank motion, but all right, I'll take it. And he distracts the guy who shot March. Uh, Jax steals his gun, points it at him, and shoots him, right? Mm -hmm. The way it is described in the book, I can't, I did not write down an actual page number. So, suffice it to say, she steals his gun, points it at him, and fires and the way it is described in the book is that there's a hole in his chest and the heart beats that you can see two or three times and then it explodes, drenching the room in his blood. <laughs> and so it's just like, holy shit! <laughs> like, oh my god! That's I, intense! I actually said it out loud when I read this. I went, oh Jesus! You did. I remember. I was wondering because, that like, was from. up to this point, there's some like weird kind of uh, sexual scenes. This feels like kind of your first steps out of YA into actual literature—not literature, but like books into yeah. actual books. And then they take a giant step forward and explode a dude's heart all over the room, and so it like <laughs> it ruins the tone, kind of. Yeah. So that happens in the space station. They run off the space station. Uh, they go to a different planet. She babysits some strippers' kids for a while because she doesn't want to do the job anymore. Yeah, they're strippers, and she babysits their kids. Uh, she doesn't want to do the job anymore. She gets convinced to come back. So, like, why have that weird little lag? Um, they go to a planet to continue their mission, and they stop at what is basically, like, 
a motel. Like, I love it because it's described in more science fiction-y, but it's one of those, like, roadside motels where the door oh, faces no. the parking lot, you yeah. know? Um, and she goes to take, like, a shower, and there's gross, and there's insects everywhere, and when she comes out, one of the crew is there, and he's acting weird, and it turns out he's a ship-shifting insect alien, and we don't oh. really we don't really get the whole insect part until later, once again, because he shapeshifts back to his original form, and he's scary, and only later do we find out he's an insect, and he kidnaps Jax, because he's a bounty hunter for the corp, and once again, she's being blamed for this thing, and she's escaped jail. Uh, he takes her to the corp headquarters, uh she convinces him through acting like a crazy go nuts uh by enticing murderous aliens that it is the corp who is wrong and she is right and she remembers out of this blur of amnesia that the corp hijacked her spaceship to crash into this planet to kill all these delegates because they would vote to end the monopoly on space trade once again pretty great premise for a sci-fi novel yeah uh and so the the bounty hunter is like, what? And she goes, no, for real. And he goes, okay, basically. So. Just like accepts it all at face value? Yeah, that's okay. how it works out. That's fine. And it just so happens that when they are like marooned on this planet, living in a cave, waiting for someone to pick them up, March and the rest of the crew have come to the planet and taken over the capital city with bombs and hostages. And they did not know they she was here. Fast. Yeah. And so she walks it. She goes into the city to take over, to like to talk to them, to get them to stop. She's gonna give herself up to the corp and the bounty hunter insect dude, who was like pretty great and uh, pretty funny and like uh, understated in a really great way. Pulls a the movie Serenity. Oh yep. And uploads the evidence of the corpse evilness mm-hmm. uh, to the entire net, as it were, and proves that the corp is evil. And Jack, uh, Sarantha Jax was right, and the book ends with them being like, well, the corpse on its way down. The end. <laughs> like, I feel like this, like, even from what I've heard of it, like, it's pretty serenity. They start on the Death Star, so it starts with Leia. And they escape, and they're fu- being fired at as they leave, and that was too easy. And then they go to this, like, backwater world, and it's the whole thing. And so it started out kind of Star Wars-y, but definitely ended serenity. Yeah. And the whole time through was just sci-fi like that's what it was was sci-fi the archetypes the problems the good parts sci-fi and so like all in all uh on the blog which by the way you can read at opinionsandother.blogspot.com always got to get a good plug in there on the whole this felt like a D campaign because none of the adventures that they go the adventures they go on like string together I guess, mm. but they are more just kind of like, ooh, wouldn't this be kind like of fun? Episodes in a yeah greater narrative campaign, yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. And so yeah. it's like, wouldn't this be kind of a fun idea for? And the characters seem to interact like, pe- like player characters do, and the mm-hmm. NPCs are there, and there's kind of like weird breaks where they've stopped playing for a while and came up with some backstory, like uh, babysitting strippers' kids. Uh, they let someone else be the DM for a night. <laughs> yeah, basically. And so it it feels like a Dungeons and Dragons group if they did sci-fi stuff. Uh, in all, uh, following that D&D metaphor, it feels like someone rolled okay and with the right meta- like right modifiers yeah. will get to success. Anna Gary, I'm legitimately excited to learn i don't want to read anymore heaven forbid but learn if she got better i bet she did this is a really awesome 
debut novel that has a lot of fun problems yeah as befitting a bibliophile you just like want to see her you want to see her like do better yeah fix those problems there's a lot of potential i feel like what's what seems cool about this is that like there were good ideas it was just the mechanics that were missing because sometimes the ideas in these books y'all are bonkers yeah sometimes they are uh one a couple bad things about this book i did not like it is written sometimes in the first person present, which I do not you enjoy. You don't reading. like that. You really hate that. I really do hate that. Uh, other times it's not. There's some weird like shiftiness. Mm. It doesn't really earn yeah. anything. It doesn't earn the romance between the main characters, the supposed character development, and basically the entire plot is not earned. In addition, it does not really feel uh, like a single thing sometimes. They're like, does it feel cohesive? Cohesive, yeah. Once out of every eight paragraphs, there's just one line that does not fit. Yeah. And it's just like this weird, really like, she tried to go really deep with it or... And it just doesn't quite work yeah. in the surrounding yeah. story. And it, yeah. Like, there are some of the ones that like, were good lines. Don't get me wrong, like she succeeded in going deep, but it just felt like wrongly placed. Yeah. So, all in all, Grim See, Space... Yeah, I was going to say, all in all, does not seem like a bad experience. No, it was not a bad experience, all in all. It's definitely a bibliophile book, don't get me mm-hmm. wrong, but it is not a bad experience. But, Susan, we are moving on to you. We are moving on to the scariest of Terriest Gariests. Terry Gary, <laughs> dead girls are easy. How did, how did you fairy? Okay, so before I get into this book, I want you... To tell me, mm-hmm. as we do, yeah, how you found this, why you picked it, what spoke to you about Terry Gary's book. Terry Gary's Dead Girls Are Easy uh, appealed to me because, as always in a library, the spine of the book faces outwards. Uh, I could not see the cover immediately, but even the spine of the book really gets your attention because in what I can only describe as Beetlejuice font... Yeah, it's pretty solidly uh, Beetlejuice. Bright green letters on a black cover reads, Dead Girls Are Easy, with a picture of a shapely female leg. L- take a look at that getaway stick. And it's like, it's a shapely female leg wearing a red high heel. Yeah, so like the Even color better. scheme alone, and I whipped it on out of there, especially because I was looking for romance books, because I always love to do that. And I whip it around to find that, indeed, Dead Girls Are Easy is the title. And I know that that's probably a comment on the movie Earth Girls Are Easy, but the fact just, I'm gonna, I'm not going to lie to you, just for the pure, easy necrophilia jokes of Dead Girls Are Easy uh, is pretty great. And the tagline, it's the live ones who cause trouble, only helps to cement that interpretation of the title. Also, the fact that the author's name is Terry Gary. I will be 100% honest with you. I did not know that until we actually went to the library and checked them out. I Terry ha- Gary. I handed the book to you and I was like, here's Dead Girls Are Easy. And oh my God, it's by a woman named Terry Gary. Especially because last week we had a meltdown over Lowry Berry. And La- this week it's <laughs> Terry Gary. <laughs> Terry Gary are getting scary. Anna Gary, Lowry Berry, and Terry Gary are very scary. Oh my god. 
good. I love everything. Everything is wonderful. Oh, Lowry Berry, you are my nemesis <laughs> and my best friend. I as will always remember be. you. I will uh, always love you. But as I read the back, it did not really give me too much, except for the fact that the main character is called Nikki Sticks, S-T-Y-X, like the Greek river of the underworld. And I had to say, Terry Gary, this looks very good um, for Biblioba. I'm sorry, I couldn't think of a, a, a rhyming word. Uh, Susan, take it over. Okay, so I have... And this is very important. I have not one, but two fan theories based on this book. Two? Two. Fan theories? I'll give you my first one at the beginning. I am saving the second one for the end. Ooh. The first one, my first theory is that Terry Geary came up with the title, <laughs> Dead Girls Are Easy. First. And the tagline, It's the Live Ones Who Cause Trouble. And the cover art, which is a woman in... Inside the door leaving. of a mausoleum with her whole thigh exposed in Damn. a red high heel. And a red big bracelet. My theory is that Terry Gary came up with the cover art, the title, and the tagline and then made a book around it. You're telling me Terry Gary, America's sweetheart, came up with an accoutrement to the book first. Yes. And I'm telling you that the story that she wrote around it does not match with the tagline, the title, or the cover art. <laughs> I like to think that, you know how, as you look at a book, there is the front, the spine, and the back. Uh-huh. I like to imagine that that is an empty shell, and she just looked around the room <laughs> yeah. and picked up an empty shell yeah. and a manuscript and crammed them together. So... I'm Terry Gary, and I say this goes. So, the plot summary. Uh, the plot. This book is about our main character, whose name is Nikki Sticks. And in the first page of the book, Nikki dies. <laughs> well, that was a short book. And is brought back to life by her very handsome doctor. And oh, good. based, like, after having this near-death experience, or NDE as it is referred to... Nikki can now see ghosts. Naturally. And they're, they're only women ghosts that she sees. But she sees Aww. her first ghost in the hospital. Her name is Irene Goldblatt. And Irene died the same day that Nikki did, except she did not come back to life. She choked on a meatball. And she Jesus. is insisting that Nikki needs to find her husband and tell her husband that it's not his fault that she died because it was his meatball that she choked on. Oh, that's sweet. And so she, Irene can't go into the light until she knows that her husband doesn't think it's his fault. Your your standard ghost seeing. Yeah, 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 you bet. What's that so, Michael J. Fox movie? The, our viewers or our listeners are currently yelling at their radios because touched J. by an angel. No. That's not it. Michael um, J. Fox has a ghost. Back to the future. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I will yell at you when I find it. Okay. Um, the Frighteners! I didn't even have to look it up. The Frighteners. Job. So, Nikki can now see dead people, and it is her calling in life, apparently, to help them out. Because when she when she had this near-death experience, she like got this overwhelming sense of peace. She went towards the light, and then she was told that it wasn't her time yet, and then she had to go back and do unto others as she would have them do unto you. 
So she does not want to do this, but she decides that it is her calling in life. So her calling in that's death. sort of this the main like the main plot line, right? Yeah, the, like, your standard she ghost talks scene. to dead people. Yeah. And Some she's side not a six year old Haley Dawesman. Um, Nikki falls in love with her doctor. Naturally. Which is weird for a couple of different reasons. Like, he's doctor her doctor, and that's weird. Um, and also that he's doing a study on patients who have had near-death experiences, and she is subject number one. So he's, like, doing an academic study on her and boning her at the same time. I was going to say, an academic study of livelihoods. And he, like... So she tells him that she can see dead people, and he immediately insists that she needs to go to a therapist. And she's like, yeah, probably. Well, yeah, to be fair. Yeah. If I were Terry Geary's beau, or I'm sorry, Nikki Sticks's beau, I would probably say the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, probably. So in the midst of this all, one of Nikki's good friends is killed. Oh, no. Her name is Caprice. Um, she is pushed down the stairs. Oh, Jesus. And we think it's by her boyfriend. Um, and she dies. And so that is the second dead person that Nikki sees. Why you, I, I'm sorry for interrupting, but in this book, people only die embarrassingly. Yeah. What's up with that? No one dies, like, happily? Well, I suppose they I wouldn't I suppose all the people, ghosts. yeah, all the people that yeah. die, like, this in is normal confirmation circumstances. Bias. Yeah. So... Priest, this is where things get, like, the first tier of weird. Is her name Caprice Caprice? No, she has a last name. I don't remember what it is. Caprice. It's Caprice. You're right. She wears Caprice. Yep. Caprice Caprice is Caprice. <laughs> Terry Gary is Freeze Gary. Terry Gary and Lowry Berry and <laughs> Anna Gary. <laughs> so, there's a couple different interpretations of what happens to caprice the first is that caprice when she was alive wait i'm sorry you have finished the book correct yeah and there are a couple different interpretations as well, to what like happens a couple, to her? like in different parts of the book it's explained in different ways so the first way is explained is that when caprice was alive she found out that her boyfriend husband person was cheating on her and so she sold her soul to the devil to get revenge. And because she sold her soul to the devil, now she can't find peace and go into the light. And then the other explanation is that um, the boyfriend, husband, lady, like his mistress person, she was a voodoo priestess and Naturally. put a curse on Caprice. And so whatever it is, Caprice's soul is... In a state of unrest. And so she's, like, it's not just, like, the normal dead person who needs Nikki's assistance. Like, she's, like, haunting Nikki. And she, like, puts one of Nikki's friends in the hospital. And, like, all sorts of weird stuff starts happening. back off. And so Nikki reaches out to Caprice's grandma, Granny Julep, who is also a voodoo priestess of some sort. Does this take place in New Orleans? Um, Atlanta. Everything's in Atlanta. Especially fire. Yeah. So she reaches out to Granny Julep and Granny Julep decides that she's gonna like help her put Caprice's spirit to rest. And there were like 
I'm not going to lie. I got eight chapters into this book and I was like, Mick, I don't think this book is that bad. I don't know what I'm going to talk about. And then things got off the rails. <laughs> but there were actually a lot of things that I really liked about the book. So I the characters were all well done. Like they yeah. were, I mean, like the storyline is absurd but it, like it's so absurd that if you like she leans into it and the characters are yeah. really well done within that structure yeah and even like their relationships are pretty good um like uh, not caprice our main character nikki she has a best friend his name is uh, evan um and he has a boyfriend named butch oh, and low impact gay character he and ev or nikki and evan own a, like a vintage clothing store together and they, like, they've been friends since high school, and they had just have, like, a, like, legitimately good relationship. And, like, Evan is a gay man. And I was impressed by how little they played it up for, like, the super stereotypes. Like, he has a couple lines where he's acting like a typical Southern Belle. Like, he clutches his pearls and says, bless your heart a lot. Her old girlfriend. But, like, I mean, he's, like, he's, he's a good, like, well-developed character, and, like, the relationship between them is really good. One fun theme I find about your books is that all of your main characters have really stupid businesses. They all do. They all own bars or stores, every single one of them. Um, one part that I really liked, so we hear a little bit about Nikki's backstory throughout this, and she has, like, some trust issues with men because she was engaged as a high school student. Ooh. And then her fiancé, naturally, because he was 17 and stupid, cheated on her and they broke up. And so... That's a good life lesson. At one point in the story, she is approached by a ghost who had had been a customer at her store recently and had bought a bracelet that she was going to give to her granddaughter and then died before she could give it to the granddaughter. And she and the granddaughter had had a big fight right before she passed away. So the ghost shows up to Nikki's store and is like, I need your help. I need you to help me feel like I'm reconciled with my granddaughter so that I can pass on. <laughs> like, I feel like we ended things on a bad note. And so Nikki is supposed to go to the granddaughter's house and deliver this bracelet and say, like, hey, I saw your grandmother in my store. This was for you. She told me that you had fought. She was going to give you this gift as a, like, a peace offering of sorts. Yes. And she gets there. She rings the doorbell of the granddaughter's house, and it's her ex-fiance. Wait. Oh, so the the granddaughter is the cheating. Yeah. Because he's stuck with the woman he cheated on. Apparently. But then, like, so she has this whole interaction with her, like, the other woman from her situation, and she doesn't want to do it, but she does because she wants to help the the ghost. The, gr- the ghost, and then the cheating ex fiance comes out to the car with her and like tries to sleep with her and all this Blah. stuff. And it was like it was really cheesy and predictable, but like it was written pretty well. And it, you you were kind of like, yeah, girl, like you tell that guy to f off. Like you're happy that the character gets closure. Um, so, like, it was surprising that, like, it was written thematically well. appropriate yeah, it for was, it a was... ghost story to have closure. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. I also like that the, apparently the ghosts in this book just want her to run some errands. They really Can do. Can you deliver this bracelet? <laughs> <laughs> they do. That's all they want. Um, 
But yeah, I like for the most part, like I liked Nikki, the main character. I liked the supporting characters too. Like I found myself interested in the book. It was good. But there's a one more plot line that is just bonkers. So the doctor Dame. Dame la plot line. The doctor, who's also the boyfriend. Mm-hmm. So they're on their first date, which is a very intentionally a first date. He asks her out on a date. And they're flirting and they're all like touchy feely and all the cute stuff and whatever. And then she leans in to kiss him and he says, Nikki, I can't kiss you. I'm married. <laughs> and it gets better. She gets pissed and she like runs away and she's like, I'm not interested in this. I'm not going to be the other woman. Like, I got cheated on. I'm not going to do that to someone else. And he was like, No, no, no. I'm estranged from my wife. We haven't seen each other in four years. She joined the Peace Corps. Um, I We would be divorced, but I can't get a hold of her to serve her with divorce papers. I haven't seen her in years. She's not a part of my life anymore. So why? But Ugh. the reason I needed to tell you is because I'm pretty sure She's that dead. my wife is your twin sister that you didn't <laughs> <laughs> you had. No way. <laughs> yes. And reasons he thinks they're twins, they look a lot alike, and well, they're type. they're both adopted, and Nikki's last name is Sticks, and his ex-wife Kelly's last name is Sharon, who, if you remember your Greek mythology, yeah. is the boat the boat guy on the river the, Styx. Yes, the the, zo- the skeleton boatman. But hold on a second. You're both adopted. That's how I know you're sisters. Whatever. Sure. Makes sense. You look alike. You're twins. Sure. Your last names are related. Given the aforementioned adoption thing, I don't think that applies. Mick, I think the thing you're fixating on is the wrong thing. I think the thing you should be fixating on is... Drama. Her twin sister that she didn't know she had. She didn't know she had a twin sister. You didn't tell me that. And he's married to her. Oh, God, oh, he's got a tight. And here's the freaking bonkers ass part of this book is that none of these plot lines are resolved. What? This is book one in, of course, a series of five books. And because it's the first book in a series, we can't resolve a single goddamn thing. No, ugh. That would be crazy. I've got blue balls about so, this. So, we... I'm sorry. We... I'm sorry. Okay. You have a lot to get through, and you're doing a fantastic job. But you are telling me that the first book in a series by yes. Terry Gary, the yes. scary, very wary yes. lady, is named... Yes. Dead Girls Are Easy. Yes. That's how she started. But here's the thing. The dead girls aren't easy. And I'm glad you brought this up because I almost forgot to go back to this. So the reason that I think that she came up with this whole, like, she came up with the title and the tagline and everything, none of that stuff ever really comes up in the book. Like, the the title and tagline, dead girls are easy. It's the live ones who cause trouble. Okay, but in the book, all her, like, alive friends are normal and it's the dead girls that cause all the trouble, which is opposite of the thing that we yeah, said. So I... And 
The lady in the front of the book is in a short red dress with very high heels and has like a long, long exposed leg. And our character is like not into that. She's like sort of, she's sort of goth and she's like pretty, um, like she wears a lot of makeup and she always has her hair done, but she's not into like clothes and heels and that kind of stuff. So like not, not like this. They never go into a mausoleum. Hmm. It's just like, I just feel like she came up with this title and wrote the book around it and then felt like she had to get it in there at some point. So when Nikki is leaving her ex-fiance's house after delivering the bracelet to his wife from her dead grandmother, who is a ghost. Which is like two-thirds of the way through the book. She is driving back to her neighborhood and there's a woman, like a young woman, in the car next to her that, like, takes off from the stoplight with a squeal of her tires and, like, cuts her off and pulls into the lane in front of her and, like, flashes her brakes and makes Nikki slam on her brakes. And then Nikki is on the phone with Evan during this encounter. And so Nikki, like, flips the girl off after the girl cuts her off and says, dead girls are easy. It's the live ones who give me trouble. And like we nothing, have a title. nothing ever comes from that interaction. Like we don't see that girl again. Nothing happened. It was just like she put that interaction in there so that we could have a title. Oh great. Yep. But so none of the plot lines are really resolved. Like we know that Nikki and Joe like each other, but we don't know if they really wind up together. Um, we don't like we sort of figure out what happens. Like Caprice's soul gets put to rest. Oh, good. Okay, that's good. But we don't really figure out what happened with the other woman who is actually the one that murdered Caprice. Like, Mojo, her husband's name is Mojo, and Mojo's girlfriend, Felicia, is the one who shoved Caprice down the stairs. We don't know if she really, like, gets her comeuppance. Like, does she get arrested? Do people figure this out? I don't know. Um, We don't get a whole lot of, like, we don't know why Nikki sees dead people. We don't get any clarification from like her conversations with a therapist like nothing really gets resolved and including the plotline about the friggin twin sister yeah i'm kidding is there boning yeah it's not explicit it's just like she came over and he had made strawberry shortcake for dinner and they had it or for dessert and they had strawberry shortcake and then she got in a really flirtatious mood and was like, is there any whipped cream left? And then cut to black. So, like, there's implied sex, but not... Implied gross, sticky sex. Yeah. Yeah, that does not sound appealing to me. So you're saying, Dead Girls Are Easy by Terry Gary the Scary Wary. Uh, It's the live ones who cause trouble. I stumbled ass backwards into an awful novel. Because it's nothing of what I thought it was going to be, and yet... It's still terrible. But it was, like, it was really bad, but also good at the same time. Like, I, I legitimately want to know what happens in the rest of this series. And I don't want to read the books myself, but I kind of want to get you one. Yeah. Ugh. Now there's an idea. Getting people sequels. Sequels. But, I, I mean, like, it was an enjoyable process to read this book. It's fucking crazy. <laughs> She is a mystery twin that we don't really talk about a whole lot. 
who might not be her twin. It's like, it's and like, we're not really worried about it. So she's sleeping with a person that might be her brother-in-law, but she doesn't care because it might not be her brother-in-law. And she likes him, but he's also her doctor. And he met her for the first time when she was dead. It's like when you have the flu and you have to stay home from school and you watch The Price is Right. Yeah. And then it, like, you're too sick to change the channel. And so now the soap opera is on. I believe it's Days of Our Lives, which is after Price is Right. Because, back me up on this, Sue. When you're sick, you watch The Price is Right. Yeah. Yeah, of course. So you watch The Price is Right, and then the, that soap opera come on, comes on. It's like you had a three-day flu. Yeah. And so you got three days of Price is Right. Awesome. And then you got three days of Days of Our Lives, which puts you smack dab into this dramatic, terrible story and doesn't resolve anything. And you just have to go back to school weighing 15 pounds less. So, somehow that brings me to my second fan theory. Oh, yes. I completely forgot. My second fan theory. I'm going to need you to hang in with me for a second. Okay. Hanging. My second fan theory is that Terry Gary herself is a ghost. Oh. No, she is a ghost. Snap. That's heavy. So, I, I, I deduced this for the first time. Reading the introduction That's to this book early. for Bob, who believed from the beginning, Ooh. for Sheila Ray, who believed when I didn't, Sheila Ray, and for my mother Louise, who believed in ghosts and believed in me the because ghost. she's a ghost. And I read the introduction. And I was like, "What if Terry Gary was a ghost?" Ha ha, Susan, funny goof. Ha 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 ha. And then I read I this laughed. book and I was like, I think she's a ghost. And I think <laughs> I think that becomes a dedication. But I also think that like she sees herself in the dead characters. Like they all have sort of kitschy names, like Terry Gary. <laughs> and I think that this book And ghosts of course is her trying to like make sense of her own death. Like she has Nikki the main character has these really complicated conversations with a therapist and the therapist is like, Nikki, like I, I believe in the paranormal. Like I am willing to hear you out about these experiences that you're having, but I also want to offer you an explanation. Like, I think that your brain, you know, processed some or experienced something that it didn't know how to process. And so you're having like basically these hallucinations and this is your brain making sense of, its own death. And I think that this book is the how Terry Gary made sense of her own death. I think that she her brain couldn't process it, and so she made up this book about a woman who could see dead people trying to process it, and then also a bunch of just crazy, crazy things that kept happening, like mystery twins in the Peace Corps. So you're saying that Terry Gary is the real scary Terry Gary. She is. I think that she's a ghost. I love it. That is how my brain is choosing to make sense of Dead Girls Are Easy by Terry Gary. You are choosing to believe in the slain. Choosing of the slain. No, don't um, bring me back there. Don't bring me back. That will do us for a bibliovile for this week. Uh, closing with the aforementioned scary terry gary which is very fairly awful uh along with 
And I love that this happened. And a Gary. And a Gary to go with Terry Gary, the very scary, fairly terrible book. I just want to say before we close out, I don't want to get too overly serious again. But it's might get rough in the next couple of years. Um, and I just want to say that uh, if you are not looking forward to that, many other people are not looking forward to that either. Uh, doing what you can to support each other, support yourself, and to support those around you uh, will definitely help uh, you and people get through a very difficult time. Giving your time, your energy, and even uh, sometimes it might have to work out to your money to causes that you believe in will be how you exercise that uh, care from here on out for a while. Uh, so I believe that every day you get up and you, you just have to do it. What else is there is my theme. Uh, you get up, you have to do it and you get through it. Uh, and sometimes that can be getting to work and dealing with high school students like me. And sometimes that can be living in a country that you did not know you currently live in. And so moving through it with the support of others and supporting others that are also moving through it, I believe is a noble goal and something that we can come together and help each other towards. Agreed. Uh, but what do I know? I make dick jokes on a podcast. Uh, so in closure, this was Bibliobile for this uh, two weeks. We will be back in another two weeks uh, next, next Thursday with a set of books that I do not know what are. That was some grammar right I do there. not know what they are. Uh, I'm sure they'll be fantastic. I am sure they will be fantastic as I get you Terry Gary book two. The scariest. Oh, no. The scariest Gary of them all. Um, our theme music for the podcast is Babe of the Night by the band Elixir off of their album Rampant. If you'd like to read the blog posts that accompany our podcast, you can check those out on Mick's personal blog, which is opinionsandother.blogspot.com. You can follow Mick on Twitter at Dickima, that's D-I-C-K-I-M-A-A, and you can find me at Susan J, S with three U's, S-A-N-J. That'll do it for tonight. Remember to like and subscribe on iTunes, because I am that YouTube person now, except for iTunes. Uh... And, you know, when we text this, when we tweet this out, uh, I love the, like, the likes and the replies and everything. Why not show it to a friend? Why not retweet a link to give this podcast? Give them the old retweet. Give them the old retweet. People are searching for a thing. Uh, give it the old retweet. Try and get somebody else to listen to this. We've had pretty good success uh, with everyone who's tried and knows us. Seems to get along with this podcast pretty well. Uh, with that in mind, I will say a good night to Matt, as we always do, and a good night to Jake. Aww. Aww. I love you. Good night, you. friends. Take care of each other.